This is Movies, a podcast about the act of cinema. With me today is Hans, who's uh, chortling to himself. I think he was looking at like puppy gifts on Twitter. I'm just crying in silence over here. Yeah, I'm good. How come you can't move to America anymore? Is it because we're facing a lawsuit? Yeah, I don't want to go there and be in a negative money-wise <laughs> as soon as I get there. You can move into a nice prison cell, Hans. I'm already going to be working dishwashing or something so i don't want to have to you know work five years to pay whatever we owe the massachusetts oh you state. think it would be five years you think it would be five that's cute well yeah, we have dakota proctor back on the program and the last time we had you on i think it was just kind of a themeless episode it wound up being our favorite our tours uh yes. and then this time around we were going to do uh the the documentary on robert crumb which was Jordan Peterson's all-time favorite documentary I've, I've since learned. And that's uh, terrific. I've also rewatched Fritz the Cat 1 and 2 uh, within the past week. So I don't know. I want to do an episode on that at some point. I don't know how you feel about Fritz. Yeah. Uh, but that's not what we're talking about tonight. We're going to be talking about The Hateful Eight. room for one more this is something we've already done before Hans you remember do you think, our... Jor- do you think Jordan is a sex pet- pest no I don't I don't you get think the he's just secretly secretly horny like he puts this image of like I'm a very I, I clean my own room and I'm a very serious whatever but he's just horny it time. could be that once upon a time he was, but I think after that lobotomy he got, he's pretty like low sex drive. And also all the pills he's taken probably doesn't help either. Uh, hey, what do you think about Jordan Peterson, Dakota? He's great. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, the only reason I watched Crumb in the first place was because he said that it was his favorite documentary. And this is all, what, uh, this is all right. I guess when Trump got elected and I was just, you know, just scouring the internet for, I don't know, alternative narratives, maybe. Anything that isn't a Colbert clip. Yeah. I, 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 well, I, I, you know, I just, I, I feel like I saw, you know, my whole peer group turn into like animals in like a month, yeah. you know, and I was just sort of perplexed about that you know in my i was just like right out of college i think when that happened and you know still wide-eyed and hopeful about everything but um yeah i mean crumb is a fantastic movie uh, i don't know if jordan peterson is a sex addict or not um <laughs> i've never seen his wife but his, she was very bright out so <laughs> yeah, so she, she must be hot. Yeah, you know, if 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 you are if you're eating a lot of you know red meat all the time, I hear that's not super great for blood flow and everything. So that that should also probably be taken into account. That's a good point. Yeah, you probably get blood clots around your, your penile the, the area. Your diet is not good for uh for fucking. Yeah, you we should need the rabbit diet. We should ask Tim if he gets boners ever because he eats raw meat, right? Tim Tim Stavers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I well, he does some weird stuff in general, so that doesn't surprise me in the slightest. Uh, what we're going to be talking about tonight is a Quentin Tarantino film we've talked about previously, and on the last show we did, was Brandy on for that one? I think she might have been the guest for that or for 
what we were supposed she, to talk about Jackie Brown. We just wound up talking about Jack, the Francis Ford Coppola movie with <laughs> Robin Williams way more, yeah. and it became a Jack episode. Jack yeah. ate a Jack. Yeah. Jack. It, Jack. Yeah. It, it, it could be a great uh, <laughs> uh, double feature for some. But when we watched Hateful Eight, maybe about two years ago, I feel like you and I were on the same page in that this was a lesser Quentin Tarantino film. It was not very enjoyable. It was quite boring. Now, I, I suspect... It at, the, at the time, I don't think I, I did watch the whole thing. That, that's right. You Oh, actually, you know what? It was your first episode as co-host. I said, yeah. whoa, hey, we're going to do a mystery re- <laughs> mystery co-host reveal. We have a co-host. On, and you didn't even finish the fucking movie on your first episode. Nothing's changed in 100 episodes. <laughs> yep. I think that was because did you watch the theatrical cut or did you watch the Netflix miniseries version? I watched the Netflix one, but um, what do you mean miniseries like divided by chapters or because it was just one in one sitting? No, no. The Netflix Netflix in late or mid 2019 decided we're going to take the hateful eight. We're going to talk to Quentin Tarantino. and We're going to dice it up into four parts as a, as a limited series. And it was a opening credits and end credits, and it was slightly longer, but it's essentially the same movie. It's maybe about thirty minutes extra. Well, I don't know if it, if it's just like a Latin American Netflix things because I, I watched it yesterday, and it's just two like two fifty, I think, and it's just continuous. So I don't know if like that's the right version I'm supposed to watch, but that's the one we had on on uh, no, it's the one I downloaded. Actually, it wasn't on Netflix anymore, so I guess I watched the regular. You might have downloaded like, a fan edit or something that just is streamlined <laughs> throughout. Uh, but my my impression, and we can lead into this in Dakota. I don't know if you've seen both versions of the Hateful Eight. Have you? Uh, I I was uh, under the impression we would just be talking about the theatrical cut tonight. We will be. But, we yeah. will be for for yeah. certain. Uh, but just off the top, there's this extended cut that is the limited series, and it is yeah. painfully dull. It is a terrible way to watch this movie because I then watched the theatrical cut months ago and i was like where did i get this so wrong this is hilarious yeah. i love this me movie too. this is a great film me too and- yeah i watched it yesterday and i was like why did i not enjoy this before like every every character is so interesting and yeah like their own little like they have so many little details that uh, you uh catch up on while watching it that i i don't know why i was so against it the first time like, yeah. like a year ago when we recorded the, the original one uh, maybe I wasn't excited about the guest either. So, <laughs> so I just, I don't know, but, uh, this time that I watched it, yeah, there was a lot of little things that I picked up on that, uh, made it, I, I don't want to say one of my favorite Tarantino, but it's definitely up there. Uh, even though it's probably his longest, right? I don't think it's, no, I think once upon a time in Hollywood is actually, uh, longer. I could be wrong about that. But I do think it is, uh, I don't know if it, I'd say it's one of his best. I think it's, full of character. I think it's full of life and it's certainly underrated. Yeah. Uh, I remember, I don't know if you remember the script leaked for this, but that's when I, I read the whole uh, script probably a year and a half before it came out. Yeah. Um, I, I remember there so, being a, a scandal that somebody had leaked it. Cause I, I believe Christoph yeah. Waltz was supposed to be one of these characters and it wasn't, maybe it wasn't him, but it was somebody, the script was sent to only a handful of people. 
And certain names got cleared off the list for having not leaked it. He was one yeah. of them that was, I believe, still in contention. He gave it to somebody, one of his agents or his, like a producer he worked with, and that came out that way. And then he was no longer involved in this project. So I, I do remember that. I remember Tarantino being very butthurt about it, saying, I'm not going to make this movie now. I'm going to do it as a stage play, if anything. He did a live reading of it after it had leaked with the, uh, I guess, the original idea of the cast or, or something, yeah. some some arrangement. And then eventually it did come to fruition. It became a, like a traveling roadshow type uh, release, not dissimilar from what Kevin Smith has done with yeah. his movies. One of his peers, oh, one of his pals, you know. Um, but this movie was in 70 millimeter. You can't see 70 millimeter at every movie theater. So um, it became a, a, a little event, I guess. Uh, I saw it in the, in the 70 millimeter, but the issue was there was something wrong with the projection. So the whole movie was a little out of focus. So having read the script and um, then watched it sort of out of focus, I was like kind of extremely let down because I knew what the whole story was. And then I wasn't like blown away by it because there were technical issues. Um, you know what I mean? So yeah, I think when we, when we, when I was on the show last, we talked about it briefly and I kind of, you know, took a hard take and said it sucked or whatever. And then you said it's worth a rewatch and, yeah, when I rewatched it, it was like way funnier. Um, and I, I think I, I guess because my expectations were lowered because I knew what it was finally, you know, I could actually enjoy it for what it was. Um, and it is interesting, you know, I mean, it's hard to compare it to other stuff because Quentin Tarantino is kind of in a world of his own, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's hard. It's hard. I mean, like it is a good movie, you know, and I, I wish there were other movies out there, you know, that could contend with it. You know what I mean? Or with Quentin Tarantino's filmography in general. But um, I think it also yeah. makes one of the, uh, I mean, probably the last statement about like the civil war that comes from any sort of neutral perspective, which I think you would probably find a lot more that the, the South is not just purely demonized in maybe like 1980s miniseries or, um, you know, that was a big thing in the 70s and 80s is delving into American history and stretching that out over nine episodes. And you would get a pretty complex look at things, even if it was for network television. But nowadays, obviously, if you delve into that territory at all, you can't have gone with the wind. You'll have to have it from the the very positive North perspective, which isn't to yeah. say that the North was 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 uh, it should be considered on even level with the South in, in that regard. Of course not. But I think it makes for a more compelling piece of art if you analyze the characters as, uh, well, more than just what you're going in there expecting, what kind of, uh, 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 you know, the rubric that you have in your head as for how things played out and who people are. Because you do have this Walton Goggins character in this movie who is, in, in a way, fairly unlikable, but is also extremely charismatic and funny and winds up joining forces in the end with the Samuel Jackson character. And they become yeah. sort of a team fending off the... Uh, you know, these, uh, this band of uh, criminals. So I, I think Foreigners. there's something interesting to that. You're right. Yeah. Band of what's well, a British and, and then uh, what's his name? Madsen, right? Michael Madsen. Yes, Michael Madsen is very tired in this movie. He's very fat and sluggish in this movie. Yes. But that would be one complaint is that those three characters are not fleshed out too much, which is sort of, 
oh, it doesn't live up to the hateful eight. You know, it's just sort of hateful four. And then you've got the other four. And, but I get it. You know, I mean, it's eight characters is a huge task. And, you know, Quentin Tarantino probably liked the way hateful eight sounded and, you know, wanted to do a sort of play on Magnificent Seven, you know, so I get that. Right. But that's one of the few issues that I had with it uh, that uh, it feels like the first three quarters of the movie we spend it with characters that end up not mattering at the end especially with that little explanation that they do at the end where they explain that everything that happened before they got there uh because we spend a yeah. lot of time with kurt russell with uh the what's the girl's character um uh, Amargoo. yeah something Daisy like something Dommergoo. Yeah, yeah. uh and then uh you have a bruce dern who's amazing in this i like there's there's so much life in those old man's eyes and so so they're so expressive throughout the whole thing that he goes from like saying the n-word a hundred times to to being like this very strong general whatever position in the army he had and then when he was being told the story about his kid sucking samuel jackson's dick there's so much pain in his eyes Uh he's just like jesus like he's amazing in this and then a walking dog is was another one that that he wasn't like one of the, the the main focuses of the first three quarters, but he's kind of in there. Uh, and everyone else just seems to hang around just to react to what those characters are are, are doing or saying. And then at the end, uh, you have this little, I, I guess it's kind of like a prologue, uh, explaining everything that happened with, uh, uh, what's what's the uh, Pain and Gang guy? No, he's not a Pain no, and no, Gang. No, no, um, no. You're thinking about Channing Tatum. Channing Tatum, yeah, yeah, with his goofy teeth and everything. So that's one of the things that i was kind of like i i kind of wish that the kurt russell character and the the characters are killed uh early well three quarters of the way had a little more to do with the resolution of the movie just because we spent so much time with them at the beginning but i really wasn't upset with how it ended because i really didn't see it coming i guess for that same reason like you're setting up a lot of characters and then the ones that are kind of just there are the main ones, like the ones that actually did the thing that everyone was worried about in there. Uh, but I, I really enjoyed how, um, which is something that is difficult to find now in, in, in films, because uh, I feel like whenever you have a writer-director, uh, everyone just seems to want to write very snarky characters that talk the same way, but they don't really have their own voice, so it just feels very similar. And here, everyone's still snarky and like smart-mouthed, but uh, they all have like their own character. They're very three-dimensional uh so uh it doesn't matter if they're all just throwing barbs at each other like they all have their own personality and their all their own um reasons to be who they are and why they're there that it, it just worked really well for me it, it felt like a like a a, a a pretty well shot Horace and, Horace and Pete episode, uh, which makes sense <laughs> about like the play thing that you were talking about because he, right. he, the camera moving only works to enhance their performances. There's nothing really that creative about the 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 at least the yeah the, I don't know the directing but like the, the cinematography. It all just works to enhance what the performances do. Uh, so it really did feel like a like a long play throughout. There are some nice shots in there. I love that, like, purple sunset that it kind of zooms back, and I think it's Joe Gage sitting by the the window. That The snow stuff is really pretty. But, yeah, it's definitely very play-esque. And, you know, I think there's some cool things about that, you know, especially kind of once Samuel L. Jackson's been shot in the nuts. You know, it's just like he's trying to make it big, 
and small at the same time. Like that that little space he has to get from, I guess, the bed to the gun, you know, mm-hmm. probably isn't very far in real life, but he's using, I don't know, whatever his film techniques are to kind of really maximize that, you know, small distance. And I think also too, it's like hanging her at the end, you know, that's, mm-hmm. it seems like, you know, I mean, she's probably not that far up in the air, but it seems very uh, grand in that moment. Yeah, absolutely. Because it has that, it has that two two hour, uh, you know, heading up to it, and I Mm. think he's he's he perfected that in Once Upon a Time too. You know, very slow explosion at the end. You know, I could you see a similarity there between the flows of those two movies, which is really, I mean, it's fantastic. Well, that, that's another thing that I feel doesn't disappoint too, the violence, uh, because throughout the whole movie, you feel the tension in the room and like how something like that, as soon as something happens, like shit is going to go down. And then once it does, it's very matter of fact, it's very, uh, you know, uh, uh, like I just shoot you and whatever, like just happened and, and it's very violent and graphic, but there's not a huge buildup to like a, like a dramatic moment of I'm going to kill you, but I'm going to give you a speech for five minutes where I kill you. It's very much mm-hmm. like, well, now I'm going to shoot you and I'll just shoot you and that's it, uh, which I feel works really well in something like this where it's uh, mostly dialogue driven, but then once the violence starts, it's so graphic and so well done that it, it does a service to all the buildup that, that you get for about, what, two, two hours, two hours and 20 minutes, yeah. I think. Right. Like I, I think it's one shortcoming is that as a whodunit, it fails. I think, you know, you have that element completely sucked yeah. dry in the third act when it's revealed pretty quick uh, mm-hmm. what that plot is because he has so much more to address in this film and another character to introduce who's just hanging out beneath the floorboards. And I don't, I don't, I still don't really like that aspect. It's actually done away with fairly quickly. So you can just get back to these are the two opposing sides within this cabin, within this lodge. Um, oh. And that's well done. But I do feel like we have that weak chapter where Quentin Tarantino himself is delivering the uh, the exposition uh, and yeah. showing you how everything unfolded. Yeah, and I think I, I think he does this in a lot of his movies. He he puts up multiple types of violence. You know, I think uh, in Django you've got the sort of the when they're riding up. And the guy gets torn apart by the dogs, and then that's kind of juxtaposed with like, because I don't think you really see that. And then you're just juxtaposed with the fight um, between the two slaves. And then this one, you know, he's got someone's poisoned the coffee, and I'm going to tell you 20 minutes before anyone drinks it. And then you've got guy in the basement and you know comes up and gets shot immediately and then you've got like funny violence like samuel jackson getting shot in the nuts yeah you know so Where... i think he likes to do it's just like he's like throwing it he's throwing it all against the wall in this movie and kind of seeing what sticks and not all of it does but you know right i, I still think i still think the the sum of its parts are are uh you know it creates a, a fantastic end product even if there are I, I think significant uh, story flaws or, or I guess just structure flaws in, in that regard. Uh, where would you place this in Tarantino's filmography? Uh, because it seems like this is part of a, a defined style that he I, reinvents himself with, with Inglorious Bastards in 2009. 
And he takes a more novelesque approach from what he had been doing before, which is a little more, a little tighter, more high octane, action focused. Uh, that ends with Death Proof. This starts a new period in his directing career. And then we go into Django, and that's got a similar, uh, just excessive vibe about it. There's, so, there's like such a great world yeah. to that. Uh, it carries over into Hateful Eight and then eventually Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And it looks like he's going to conclude on that note with whatever comes next. Unless yeah. he just completely fucks it up and does that Star Trek movie and directs it, which I, I don't think that I think that's dead in the water. I don't think that's happening, but you never know. Did you did you uh, listen to his uh, podcast with Joe Rogan? Yes, I did. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't I think whatever he does is his last movie will be pretty significant i mean that's what it sounded like on that but i mean as for ranking them i always like jackie brown the most i think that's always just what i think it's like jackie brown being kind of grounded it's a good mix of the violence and the kind of like 90s quippy kind of stuff he did um i loved um once upon a time and i mean this was Hateful Eight was my least favorite, you know, when I when I first saw it. Now that it's like fresh, um, probably in the middle, you know. I think my least favorites are like I don't, I don't, I don't, I didn't love Reservoir Dogs when I rewatched it recently. Honestly, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I've just seen it so much that it's kind of worn off on me. I, I've I, had a similar, you know, that 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 my viewing, my most recent viewing was similar in that. Uh, where for the longest time I was like, this is definitely one of his best films, unquestionably. But then I watched it again recently, and that magic was mostly gone. And all I could see was were a lot of the problems with that movie, which, look, it's his first real movie. Of course, there's going to be problems with it. And all things considered, like that's an amazing first movie to do. But it, I, I don't know if it really has as much quality as being a great film on its own. Yeah as maybe the impression was before. Yeah, I, I, That happens to me with Pulp Fiction. I think uh, just how popular that movie is and how there's so many iconic moments in it that have become part of pop culture that uh, whenever I rewatch it, I already know what's coming. I kind of just know the moments already. So, uh, and I understand that, you know, you've seen the movie before, so it's not supposed to surprise you. But for whatever yeah. reason, the, the last time I saw it, I was kind of like, oh, I uh, I didn't really like it as much as the, the first watch. And I don't know if it's just that my opinion has been poisoned by how everyone always praises it without yeah. a lot of criticism towards it. So when I watch it, it's kind of like, oh, I've, I've, I've kind of seen all of this already. So it doesn't really yeah. have that impact anymore. I rarely return to Pulp Fiction. It's so long. And yeah, I, it's just like, uh I mean, it's good. It's good. It's still not a bad movie, but it's just like you I'd know, rather you know, watch Kill Bill or something, yeah. you know, because like that that last fight scene in Kill Bill One, I just I don't think that would ever get old. Or the first half of Django, I love. I like, you know, it's so funny, and they're just kind of causing havoc around, and there's just or like Jackie Brown. Um, I really don't like Inglorious Bastards too much either. That one's just never. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like no there's no emotion of that movie to me like there's no I don't know who to root for you know it's Brad Pitt isn't like a character really you know he doesn't really have hopes and dreams and the like female plot or whatever like just seems kind of like soap opera-y and doesn't like 
resonate with me personally. Well, the whole so re- he- the whole revenge thing from her is kind of like I I don't you know when yeah her family yeah. gets killed or whatever. But then so many years go by and she's still I don't I don't know. I, I also feel like the his band of of his little gang of of J- Jews, the I Jews. guess. <laughs> yeah, they're all kind of very like NPC, like they're very like uh, yeah. video video game characters that don't really have yeah. much of a personality other than well, you're this guy, so everything yeah. you do is this character. They're not very three dimensional, so it's kind of he's, yeah, he's yeah, trying to make it so cool, like the bear Jew. And I like remember kids like talking about the bear Jew like in high school, and I'm just like, okay, like. Is it, Eli. Is, it just, is, is, is Eli Roth, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rushing after that hunk, Eli Roth, the bear. Did you see his <laughs> muscles? Did you see that stud on, on the screen? That's all yeah. I could hear anyway. That yeah. One ne- yeah, that one never. I think that's, that might be my least favorite. I think uh, Aguirre's Bastards is my least favorite too. Yeah, that was one of my favorite ones actually for a period. I, I haven't rewatched <laughs> it. I haven't rewatched yeah. it for a while. I did watch Django Unchained again recently, and I really enjoyed Django Unchained yeah. a whole lot. I think Samuel L. Jackson's fantastic. His performance in that movie, Samuel L. Jackson, is best performance of his career, I think, bar none. Uh, Dennis Christopher is great in that. DiCaprio is DiCaprio, but he's still yeah. like good or, or whatever. Uh, and then Christoph yeah. Waltz, obviously. But I really do think all those supporting characters shine the most in that film. Yeah. It feels yeah. like his most epic movie. Jackie Brown is definitely one that I need to rewatch because on my first watch, I, I do really care for it. When we did that, ep- I think that's why we ended up talking about other movie when we were going to do that episode because I was kind of just like, I don't care. Like, I really, really like the performances or whatever, but I know it's one that everyone always brings up as one of his best, so I might have to give a give it a rewatch to change my my opinion on it. I was just kind of disappointed the the first time I watched. Well, it. no, your opinion um, is your you just stick to your opinion. You don't have to soften to peer pressure. Well, my opinion changes a lot depending on <laughs> when I watch it, uh, and I've noticed that about with, with the early episodes of this show where. I was very dismissive of a lot of movies, just like, oh, that was kind of shit. I didn't like this. Like, You're the Dragon. You're the Dragon. You got to rewatch. You'll see. It's a great film. And not shit talking on Death Curse comic (laughs) streams. Yeah, I was tuning into that. I heard all that. (laughs) Unbelievable. Um, Like, um, Mind. No, what's the the Hannibal Lecter one? Manhunter. Oh, yeah, you hated Manhunter. I hated Manhunter, and then I rewatched it, and I was like, you know what? This is not as bad. I don't know why I thought it was so terrible, uh, but yeah, it depends a lot of like my state of mind at the time and what I'm actually doing while watching it. Uh, and I feel like Foxy Brown might fall into that category because again, Jackie like Brown. Both, Foxy, Foxy Brown, <laughs> isn't Foxy Brown uh, one from like a black exploitation movie? That's that another black better. person movie. You yeah. racist. <laughs> <laughs> it's played by the Alves. same actress it's still Pam Greer I think yeah I think. so your thoughts about the Jeffersons huh? she just shows her titties more in Foxy Brown <laughs> that's right uh, yeah. <laughs> that's why I remember it uh, but um, yeah I don't know I have a thing with Tarantino too where uh, I didn't really care for him early in my life like in my 20s I just didn't he didn't really do much for me I didn't pay much attention to his work uh, so it's someone that I've 
kind of rediscovering as I'm old now uh, and have a little bit more patience to watch long movies like this one that we're talking about, where before, you know, I would see over two hours and be like, oh, I don't know if I want to sit through this whole thing. But but I found like a, a higher appreciation from them uh, lately. So I don't know, maybe I just have to do like a, another Tarantino rewatch and maybe, you know, change my opinion on, on which is my favorite film. Well, we were supposed to do, originally we were supposed to do hate, uh, not hatefully, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood this week with Anthony Sisko, which is another one we had already covered on this show. Uh, but it got overwhelmed because we were talking about Tim Stavers, who you already brought up before and all his conspiracies regarding the Manson family oh, yeah. and how it was actually Roman Polanski who killed Sharon Tate and something along those lines. You know, just... Just all kinds of wild stuff. And it I think it maybe took away from discussing the movie itself, even though it was a two-part episode. Yeah. So that's something I would like to revisit at some point, especially since I've been reading the novelization. Have you checked out the novelization, Dakota? I think I should, though. Right? It's pretty... I, I'm still listening to Quentin talk about it. Yeah, I mean, I, I want to, but not yet. I haven't read one anyway. page. <laughs> Not is, one is, page. Uh, is, uh, is the whole thing when the book came out, is, is Cliff a murderer? Is that what is revealed in the book? Or is he not, that he did not kill his wife? Cliff is, is a murderer. He, he, well, he gets a, a taste for killing in the war. So it's not like a big thing for him, you know? So, it, um, I mean, it just is what, it's just a part of his personality. But then also you see that Tarantino does not view himself as the the Leo character, the Rick Dalton character. He sees himself as Cliff Booth. Suddenly Cliff Booth is a big-time movie buff. He's uh, listing facts about certain movies that nobody else would know, and he's really into... It's just like, oh, (laughs) we all gauged that incorrectly, I guess. So when when Brad Pitt takes his shirt off, (laughs) In that movie, that's what Tarantino sees when he yeah. looks in the mirror. Yeah. Have you ever seen that so photo I'm shoot? Look at my house today. Have you ever seen that photo shoot of him? I think it was Leo and Brad also in the car, but he's like the he's got his suave face oh, yeah. on. He's trying to look <laughs> handsome. That's a, that's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the novelization. Yeah. So, Oof. I have a theory that uh, you know about Hateful Eight that the Lincoln letter to Samuel Jackson is Quentin to the world, essentially. And, you know, because his letter allows him to get into situations he wouldn't be allowed to. And I think similarly, Quentin uses movies to allow him to, you know, say the N-word, have violence against women, you know, (laughs) these things that wouldn't be socially acceptable. But, you know, his movie is basically his way of blending in, getting, you know, getting away not with being it, in yeah. jail, getting away <laughs> with it, essentially. Because uh, he's yeah. done that in multiple movies. And he, he, you know, it was the same thing at the end of, like, Glorious Bastards. You know, when he's carving it into his head, he says, like, that's my best work yet. Like, I think he's constantly kind of saying, like, I'd be a really crazy person if I <laughs> did if you allowed me. If you allowed me to say the N-word, I would be very nuts. <laughs> Have you guys ever seen Full Tilt Boogie, the behind-the-scenes making of From Dust Till Dawn? No. It's very interesting because it gives you a somewhat unflattering look at Quentin in the mid-'90s, right after Pulp Fiction, working on this set as the screenwriter, but he's really, you get the vibe he's actually directing the movie or half the movie. 
like Robert Rodriguez is technical director, but you see him basically directing and he's saying things like, you know, I could fuck any girl on this set right now. And he's saying that to like a group of people just hanging out. Um, Clooney and Clooney's yeah. like, yeah, me too. <laughs> what are you, yeah. why are you bragging about that? Yeah. So he, that that's the kind of guy he was. And, uh, you know, you get a lot of that insight in that movie. And I think it's very interesting and very telling to see who Quentin was at the top of his game, at least, you know, publicly in Hollywood. <laughs> I think he's probably more at the top of his game now, uh, proficiently as a, as a filmmaker. Well, I, I kind of like that he set himself like a limit of what, 10 movies, right? So that he doesn't fall into the Abel Ferrara. Hold on. No, Abel Ferrara Fer- <laughs> oh. is still a good director, though. I think. What, what, Wait, you, who's, who's the one that Tommaso director? Yeah, that's Abel. Yeah. Yeah, I was just like, yeah, I'm just going to make movies with my friend when my friend fucks my young wife because that's cool. It's like, I I don't know if I would want Quentin to have make no. his movie where his, his friend sucks his wife's feet or something. <laughs> you know, like, right, this is the right. movie now. I, I think we are probably getting dangerously close to that time because I think he put his wife in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. She's a, she's an attractive young woman. Who is his right? wife? Is that the Who's Italian woman? Some some Israeli. Like, no, no, no. That was the chick from <laughs> Green Inferno. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I guess Hila Klein. I think he married Hila Klein. I don't. Um, uh-huh. But I he, just he seems so asexual to me, honestly. I mean, ever, I guess there's the the foot fetish, but I I don't know. Feet don't do anything for me, so I've just never. This movie's very sexy in any way. There's a there's a not really a me too, but someone trying to out him is like a weird guy or whatever some indian chick had written an article back in like 2011 or 12 and was like yeah i met quentin tarantino at the club and then you know we went back to his place and he just kind of sucked on my feet and jerked off and then he left and i thought it was the weirdest thing here's my article guys and uh I mean, that was supposed sounds, to be like peak journalism yeah it sounds, it's tarantino okay sounds like better than what Harvey Weinstein was doing. At what least was Aziz was a, doing? The claw, you know? The so. claw, yeah. At 5'7". Yeah, it's <laughs> a very law claw, more uncomfortable. His wife was one of the Manson gang, apparently, in uh, Once Upon a Time. Okay. One of those unwashed women that are, are living in that little camp thing. What do you think his motivation was for casting Lena Dunham? Do you think that was a joke at her expense? Or do you think he's just like... Hey, it's Lena. Dun- Let's put Lena Dunham in this movie. Why not? Or maybe it's both. It could be both. Does he have a sense of humor like that? He, uh, yeah, yeah, it doesn't make sense. Are you sure Lena Dunham didn't ser- search him out? You know, I mean, maybe she's like, get me in a Tarantino project. And, and look, it, it, for on her for on her joking him. You know, sure, it could be. For, it could be a reverse pattern. You know. Yeah, like, has he done that where he just gets a bad actor to mock them on anything? I don't think you would ever really know if a director did that on purpose. Because there's certainly instances of that that in David Lynch films where it feels like he just put this person in this movie because it's going to be, like, they're going to say it terrible. But that's part of, like, the fabric of what this is. So, Or, like, a Tim and Eric thing. That's probably the most transparent example where they just take mentally ill homeless people and washed up. (laughs) public access performers and they're privately like <laughs> look at this fucking asshole and then they're like oh hey we're doing a f- we're doing them a favor we're making their lives great 
And both things are true, right? Because yeah. they would never yeah. get that break otherwise. But let's not act like it isn't exploitative, at least a bit. So yeah, so, I, so you're saying that that Quentin exploited uh, Lena Dunham? That's right. <laughs> we need justice for Lena Dunham. We should be white knighting for Lena Dunham on this show. She did. She did. She she didn't really have much to do in the movie. You know, I feel like you know if there was. Unless I'm just misremembering it, I, I wasn't her part kind of throwaway. She was the, I think she was the the lead female in the Manson cult, but it's all limited to one small section of the movie. But she doesn't she just, pop like, back Bruce up. Dur- Bruce Dern's up there or something, you know. That's all she. That's all they really. That whole scene is weird. Yeah, it feels like he was just like, "Hey, yeah, Lena, do you want to just go on?" There's a night and day uh, performance from Bruce Dern versus Hateful Eight and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Just well, lying in the bed. He was, <laughs> oh, he, he yeah. was thrown in at the last minute. That was supposed to be Burt Reynolds. Burt Reynolds, uh, oh. and I believe that that character was going to be a, a, a little more, uh, there was going to be a little bit more to him in the movie. And then Burt Reynolds showed up for rehearsals. He was in on it and everything, and then he died. Right before yeah. filming. So they threw Bert, Bruce Dern in at the last minute, and he's just laying in a bed, not even looking at the camera. He's just got his back turned. Yeah. And uh, you have to picture him and, uh, what's her name, Dakota Fanning being an item, being a couple. That's cute, well, right? I, I don't really uh, blame <laughs> Quentin, because after looking at the screenshots from uh, his last movie, um, Burt Reynolds last movie where he just looks like a corpse that they're holding up by strings. Yeah. It's kind of like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I would put him in my movie. It feels very, uh, seed high in, uh, three from hell where it's kind of like, why are you doing this to this guy? Like if he's done so much and like, don't put his corpse on screen, just let him die. It's shocking how much shit Burt Reynolds did. I mean, all these actors succumb to the same fate, all these big stars of like the seventies or, or what have you. But he was on a string of like really bad, like Eric Roberts style movie roles. And that's very unfortunate, especially if you take a look at his directing work from the late 70s and 80s, where he did Gator and he did The End and Sharky's Machine. And these were all very enjoyable, very not what you would expect from Burt Reynolds, uh, uh, technically or artistically uh, well done films. And then that's what. You know, it could have been a great swan song to his acting career. And instead, I think it's like Heaven the Movie or something like he's he's in a talking dog film. He's doing Cop and a Half 3 or something. It's, the, it's the final moments. Yeah. Un- unfortunately. <laughs> his last one. What was, what After was his last Boogie movie? Nights, did he do anything that significant? I feel like Boogie Nights was, I mean, that was like 30 years ago at this point. That was 97. And he hated Boogie Nights, by the way. He did not get Boogie Nights. He wasn't a fan of it. He thought it was filth. Uh, The only thing that comes to mind is the Dukes of Hazzard remake with Johnny Knoxville and Sean William Scott. He played Boss Hogg in that movie. They did uh, Universal Soldier 2 and (laughs) 3. 2 and 3. Universal. Yeah. Without a paddle, do you guys remember without a paddle? That he was, was in without yeah. a paddle. The Seth, the Seth Green, Green the Jack Shepard, Matthew Lillard trifecta. Uh, the long, the longest yard remake. Uh, That's right. Uh, yeah, everything else just feels very direct to DVD, Redbox type of thing. He directed one yeah. more movie as well. I think called uh, it might be called The Last Producer, and yeah. uh, it looks terrible. It just looks horrendous. It looks like the director of that movie probably quit. Or maybe uh, Bert was giving him a hard time 
and just took it over because that's a thing too with a lot of these stars, especially Burt Reynolds. And if you read Jay Chandrasekhar, the guy who's uh, like the main dude in Broken Lizard, who directed Dukes of Hazard, a good portion of that memoir is uh, the autobiography he wrote was Burt Reynolds just trying to take over the movie, trying to direct the movie and alpha him out of there, which is something I know that Bruce Willis does and tons of actors do that. And why shouldn't they do that? Who the fuck is Jay Chandrasekhar? You know, Super Troopers? Super Troopers guy. Well, we got Burt Reynolds here. Yeah, Yeah, Beer Fest. (laughs) Cool. You're going to do that? You're going to go direct what? Like Reno 911 episodes? This is I'm Burt wondering, Reynolds. Don't don't shit on Reno Nine One One. That show was great. Uh, I'm I'm very surprised <laughs> that because I've never seen his uh, Burt Reynolds directed. Like he got a four back to back. Gator, The End, Sharky's Machine, and Stick. Never seen any of them. I've only heard of Shark and Sharky's Machine because you mentioned it. I think on one of the last episodes. But right. Yeah. It's it, it's weird that he had those movies from what seventy six to eighty five, and then after that, it's nothing. He did an Alfred Hitchcock presents episode. Uh, amazing stories which i imagine is something similar and then uh the new wkrp in cincinnati did an episode that so after that it wasn't until 2000 with that last producer that he actually directed a movie so i'm wondering like his his acting career wasn't going that great so i wonder why he didn't try to do that again i'm not sure i i I don't know how those movies fared at the box office i think gator might have been a moderate success I know Orson Welles, when he interviewed him for, I believe Burt Reynolds was supposed to be the guest, the introductory guest for the Orson Welles talk show that never took off. And that was toward the end of Orson Welles' life. Uh, he said that Burt Reynolds was a more interesting director than actor. And so far, I would probably agree with that. I think Burt Reynolds is a great um, star, especially for the 1970s. If you see Deliverance or you, you see The Longest Yard, he's got, you know, he's very captivating in those movies. I think we need more of that. Uh, there's a lot of people who, fit the bill like physically and then have nothing as far as personality or charisma goes. They don't offer anything of their own. They're just a carbon copy of a carbon copy. Um, and Burt Reynolds was a, was, you know, a great pioneer for that during that time period. And I do think just to tie it back to once upon a time in Hollywood, I think probably the closest thing to that, that we have now is DiCaprio, maybe um, Brad Pitt to a much lesser degree. Although I don't think he has the same kind of charisma that a DiCaprio has. Um, and also, Jonah I mean, Hill doesn't check that box for you. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> well, he's, he's very hit. Right? All oh, right, so he's a good-looking guy. He's a hunk, you know. <laughs> yeah, he's a hunk now. He got what is it, People Magazine or something, where he just looks like he's about to G- kill GQ. himself. Right, <laughs> GQ. Yeah, the, GQ. the front cover GQ magazine. Oh it's man, right I watched the uh, the Jonah Hill Ten Things I Can't Live Without GQ. You know, and it was food, it was kind food, of rough. food. Food, coke, coke, whippets. No, he needs his um, Celsius energy drinks, American spirits, and uh, his pink ghee for uh, whatever martial arts he does. It's, oh man. If there's a manufacturer, it feels like. The one where you call it rolling, I don't know. If there's a cigarette brand that can't stand, it's American Spirits. Everybody, everybody who loves to look like they smoke cigarettes would actually hate smoking cigarettes. Smokes American Spirits. Oh Jesus! I better watch my mouth, man. Except you, Dakota. You're 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 the exception. I'm just rolling uh, my own American Spirits over here, making some espresso, and you know, stimulating my brain. You know, here. True artist. uh, Yes. (laughs) 
exactly. in your room, just <laughs> you know, inhaling that smoke over and over and over again for weeks. So good. Yeah. Uh, they they did the just same thing with the <laughs> yeah. They, they did the same thing with Sarah Rogan, right? Where they try to make him sex like the sexy wit guy now. And they did like a GQ article, just yeah. like the Jonah Hill one, where it's just Will, like this Will is Ferrell awkward. Was on the front of Will Ferrell was on the front of GQ probably ten years ago. You know, it's just for semi-pro. You know, like the. <laughs> the where he had the afro wow. you know he's like on the front of gq and they do they don't have anyone I, I really think you know when when world peace got canceled i was like there's really no hope for any true true altruism anymore i don't know i that was that was a blow i you know i just i was just getting into million dollar extreme and then it just kind of dissipated very quickly and but then, think about it this know, way you know, if that if that had survived, if that show had taken off, then we'd be seeing Sam Hyde on GQ with a leopard uh, blazer on and and uh, flip flops uh, or something. Do that anyway, we get to, he still does it. He, yeah. he, he self funds his own fashion stuff. It's it's great. So uh, yeah, anyway, the whole the whole making comedians sexy it's kind of like no one needs that. Like, why is that a thing even? Like, especially when it's someone that his entire career is pretty much like <laughs> weed, you know, like now, Oh, <laughs> weed is the hot pot, the sexy guy. And it's like, why are they trying to make that? I, I, I don't believe it. he even smokes weed anymore. I think that's a, that's a crock of shit. There's no way that he's that same guy. If, if anything, it's probably like once, once a month. I don't believe it. <laughs> I don't buy it. Well, I he's, think it's the, all he, he's the, He's the one that got uh, Kevin Smith into weed, right? Who ruined his career. Ruined his much. life. Ruined his life. <laughs> Gave him a heart attack. He did yoga hosers. It's, he probably, did... It's, it's, it's very hard to be that productive and smoke weed all day. You know, I think that's that's sort of the the issue with people who. I mean, I remember in high school they were like, "I'll be like Seth Rogen." Yeah, I'll, I'll smoke a bunch of weed and still be a movie star. You know. It's it's I you're think it's gonna, remarkable. You're not going to wake up in the morning and, 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 and do other things if that's what's kind of, you know, running your life. I don't think I've ever met a single person whose life wasn't completely like gradually derailed from smoking weed religiously, from just doing like, you, you know, spending hundreds of dollars per week on weed and smoking that and just it all goes down the drain. You fucking you lose yourself. Little by little, little increments. Yeah, I had to. And I, I, I was uh, down bad. Yeah, <laughs> I was down bad with that shit. I had to quit. Like, now you're smoking marbles in bed kid. under yeah. the covers <laughs> by just, yourself. I'm just, I'm Looking hoping the that the bed, the bed sets on fire so that I can just <laughs> die peacefully in my we'll sleep. Say, <laughs> we'll say it was spontaneous combustion. That's we'll bring that yeah. back. Sorry, the yeah, I mean, I. No, no, I was just saying, you know, I, I I quit drinking about 10 months ago and it's, you know, not to be evangelical about it or anything, but it's, it's very good for you to cut out the things you like doing that aren't necessarily helping you because you're probably going to pick up something a little more productive to fill that time, you know, um, and it does make your life easier, I think, when you're not in this cycle. Because it's like your life's shitty, and then you, you know, smoke weed or drink, and it stays shitty, you know? And you just kind of stay think, in that feedback loop. I think it makes it worse, because you don't really get out of that hole that you're in. Uh, but yeah. but it, it just works as like a, 
a thing to pass the time, but that, that time goes by and then you really don't do anything with it. So you just feel worse. And you're back uh, with the problems that you yeah, left, you know, eight exactly. hours ago or whatever. I'm, well, I'm trying to quit alcohol because yeah, I, <laughs> I was going to say, didn't you say, didn't you say like six did. or seven episodes? Ago, you're like, I'm quitting drinking. I have to lose yeah. weight so we can start yeah. shooting again. And then the next episode, which is only like two days later, yeah. uh, you, you said, oh, yeah, this is my 15th beer today. You said, 15 oh, beers? God. You drank 15 beers for this show? Yeah, I'm trying to quit for two reasons. One, because I know it, aged, it ages you like shit. And I know that I've kept myself looking younger than I am, but I'm Chinese. So that shit is going to change pretty soon where I'm just going to look ancient. And also because it just gives me... Like I have to run to the toilet in the bed in the morning because I have to <laughs> shit so bad that I don't like that feeling either. <laughs> so it's just like that combination of two things that are kind of like you know uh, maybe I should just not do this at all. Yeah. But 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 it's also been kind of a struggle too because I like I smoked weed for about I don't know two years pretty much every day. So like trying to replace that feeling and like just going to bed with your thoughts sober that's been a bit of a struggle. Uh, but little by little, I've been after that day when I drank like fifteen beers, like I've just been like okay, well. I might have a couple here and there, but not do it so overboard yeah. like that and just try to yeah. deal with everything, you know, without having to resort to any type of substance. Uh, but yeah, also the, the shitting in the morning. I'm not a fan. Yeah. <laughs> That's just one of the main reasons. Yeah. I think I, I think lose it's... weight. I mean, I, I hate, I hate exercise. I know we're not talking about movies anymore. <laughs> you know, I, I, yeah, you will lose weight if you, if you quit, you know, definitely. And you won't even have yeah. to exercise. You'll just lose Having not having those calories in your every day, anyway. Uh, I'm very jealous yeah. of Cisco. He, I don't know if he, Hans, did you see his Instagram? He's skinny as fuck now. And when we met and shot some some footage from Mass State Lottery, he wasn't out of shape, but he was out of shape. I could see some curves under that shirt, and now they are gone. We start working out at the same time, and I'm definitely like fatter, and he's lanky and <laughs> handsome. And he drinks like every day too. I don't know. He must. Shit oh a yeah, lot. I think but, that's. I think that's the recipe. He just probably shits all day. When I think no. I think that's selfies. your personal hope, Hans. Is that shitting a lot is really the key? I don't think it is. I don't think it's working out. It's, it's not working for not working for me you at just all. But, shit uh, the weight off. That's maybe I have to like proof. I don't know uh, pair it with coke or something to to make it work. Yeah, that'll be I'm great for you at thirty six yeah. years old to start a coke addiction. <laughs> Yeah, I remember yeah. you saying in the in the um, episode about killing of Chinese bookie how much of a alcohol movie that was, and that that rang so true to me when I listened to that episode. I was like, "Yeah, man, this is this is a hangover of a movie for sure." Like, if you're just getting the freaking like five a.m. been up all night, like dreary eyed, going to pick up the girl in the morning cafe kind of thing. Like, oh man, not good. It does have that, 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 <laughs> yeah, it does have that dark night out vibe to it, especially when he's going to, uh, to kill the, the Chinese bookie in, yeah. he's not a Chinese bookie. Yeah. The member of the triad in uh -huh. that film. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, they, I, I, I've, um, I want us to talk more about Cassavetes on the show, but I just know Hans does not have the tolerance for the non, I mean, I'm surprised you even got through killing a Chinese bookie, to be honest with you. But if I tried to say, hey, we're going to go watch Faces this week. Hey, we're going to watch we're going to watch opening night this week. I just know that would not happen. I watched. What about, I watched uh, what about Husbands? The Husbands the... was funny. 
Husbands? That's it, right? Hus- but hu- Husbands is still kinetic, even if it, a lot of the movies are just kind of slow and right. they they let the scenes kind of unwind on their own. Uh, Dakota, you're going to say something. The one, Mini and something. Mini oh, Mini and Moskowitz. Yeah, that, that movie. You like that one? That's like yelling the whole time. That's, that's pretty entertaining. Yeah, you get a brief <laughs> Timothy Carey performance at the to, beginning. Yeah, yeah. He looks bloated and he's talking about. Years, but yeah, it's yeah. it's a good one. It, I I rewatched that when I remember it. Yeah, it's on YouTube too for anybody who wants to check that out. Somebody uploaded it in its entirety, and I believe it's an HD. Oh, I think nice. I thought I saw an HD one on YouTube, I, but I also oh, did yeah. see 480p. So take well, your pick. I mean, we could also talk about his son, right? His son has a pretty illustrious career too. Well, as his son. As an actor, maybe. As, uh, Nick Cassavetes, who directed John Q and My Sister's Keeper in The Notebook, is probably his most famous. Okay. So he's a... Oh, yeah. Not, no, I'm not no, familiar no. with his work. I don't, know, I don't think I've ever seen The Notebook. He's uh, certainly a much anything. more commercial director than his father, but yeah. he did he did uh, do an adaptation of one of the um, previously unmade scripts from John Cassavetes. Uh, John Cassavetes was going to do a movie with Sean Penn in the mid eighties. And then it just never got around to happening. And Nick Cassavetes wound up directing it in the mid nineties with Sean Penn and John Travolta. And it's not very good. It's actually pretty. What's that movie called? Uh, do you know? It's called She's So Lovely. Okay. It's. I'm thinking of something else. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean... With Sean Penn. <laughs> hey, Sean Penn in the 1980s is a terrific actor. I'll go to bat yeah. for Sean. He's just an obnoxious human being, though. He's very pretentious, yeah. obviously, these days. Uh, but he's yeah. certainly, I think, slept on by, uh, by, I guess, just people in general outside the Academy who overrate him and give him awards for movies he doesn't deserve awards for. So you what know? would be... Uh... <laughs> What would be your dream team for the next uh, Tarantino movie? I feel like he needs to get De Niro back. He could use Sean Penn. That would be kind of wild. Maybe mm. Oliver Stone's he's son. Got one, he's, he's got he's got one more movie, so he's got to pick his actors. You know, you know, he shouldn't use Leo or Brad again. I think that's he should put a nod on that and wrap it up with some other people. I don't know. I, I would I would like to see. Does he still act? I don't, I don't know. Uh, I'd like to see some combination of. I'd like to see a, a good performance out of Mickey Rourke before he's done. I think Tarantino would be the kind of guy who could conjure that. I would like uh, to yeah. see uh, Walton Goggins back in the mix. Mm-hmm. Maybe like a Danny McBride, just because he compliments Walton Goggins so well. I. I uh, there's there's a lot of actors I think that could be very interesting when mixed with Tarantino. Nick Stone, that's one that we should bring up. It's Nick great. Stone, Oliver Stone's son, Sean Stone. Oliver Stone's is it Sean? Yeah, it's Sean Stone. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, he's great. Uh, he's one that should be um, put on more things. I think after I watching, totally uh, agree. After watching Nightwalk, watching Nightwalk, he was terrific. Dakota, if you want to have a good time in, within two hours or less, go check out Nightwalk, which is uh, a movie starring Sean Stone, the son of Oliver Stone, Mickey Rourke, and Eric Roberts. And Sean Stone is uh, quite the quite the actor. He gives quite the performance. Wouldn't you say, Hans? 
Yeah, and you got a Puerto Rican Mickey Rourke with a swastika tattoo on his neck. Yeah, he's a, he's the member of the Aryan <laughs> gang, but he's the only member of the Aryan gang, and he looks brown as fuck. He's literally he he's, he's completely spray tanned. He has wayfarers in jail, and he never takes them out. <laughs> yeah. Eric great. Roberts shows up in the last like 15 minutes of the movie. He's clearly intoxicated, just slurring he's his words. Yeah, he's yeah. Da- like making weird body movements, dancing around, and just, like he poses as a Muslim or something. It's great. It's a wonderful time. Yeah. It's one of the most enjoyable That's, movies sounds good. from this year. Bar it's a lot of fun. It's, yeah. it's from this year. Yes. Well, they shot it and finished it in 2019, yeah, and then it got held over and it was released this year. So it's out there. Nightwalk. Heck. I will check that out. Shy I, think seen, I don't think I've seen a single new movie this year, honestly. You're, you're probably better for it then. I I, I, I don't I think there's the subscription stuff, and I haven't been to a movie theater for I think like two years now. I'm trying to remember the last thing I saw. It was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It was the last thing I saw in a in a movie theater. I think. New. Yeah. No, Uncut Gems. I can't remember. Uncut Gems, so I believe, ago. came out after Once Upon a Time in that Hollywood. Was that was close one. to yeah. that was Uncut close Gems. to Christmas. Yeah. Christmas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the are last theaters thing. Back the yeah, theaters? theaters are back. Yeah, they're they're back mostly. I mean, some of them had to close down. A lot of the mom and pop theaters are done, but those were even like few and far between to begin with. Uh, I had went to go see Pig in theaters, and that was a pretty decent time. I enjoyed that. I thought that was a good use of 90 minutes and 18 bucks. You're going to go see Chang chi Yeah, get, get real. <laughs> I've never seen that movie. Please. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't get the, the appeal of that. This is, it's, it's, it's Marvel saying they're going to just dish out just your average Chinese man who looks 50, even though he's 32, <laughs> And he doesn't have like a cool costume or anything. And they're going, hey, that's the new superhero, guys. That's the new Iron Man. Please go see this movie. And what's sickening is people went to see that movie. $90 million at the box office. I can't believe that. I, oh, genuinely, I thought this was a flop I've been seeing sure. a lot of memes about how good it is. Yeah, but, you know. I can't imagine it being good. Apparently, it's, Apparently it's all <laughs> focused on his sister. It's not even about him, this story. Like, it's called Shang-Chi, but it, he's sisters the cool character the badass one aquafina marvel yeah marvel is just i guess yeah that's terribly racist uh they're just moving into like the female heroes now and everything i think the black panther one's gonna be a sister and the hawkeye series that they're doing it's all about like the girl his sister his cousin his brother (laughs) his cousin his sister uh but uh yeah i uh i don't know i think it's, it's funny that that's those movies are still fucking making money and I can't remember the last Marvel movie that I enjoyed in theaters. Maybe Guardians won still. Because even those like the, the team ups, I was kind of like, oh, this is kind of shit. Sucks. Um yeah. Uh Eternal the last is one be great. Well, I, I that you know what I actually think that's gonna be a hit now because this movie was a success. Uh, may, maybe people just had to get a taste of it, but anyone who saw it says, oh, but they, they all say the same thing. The action's so good. Oh, it's the best action of any movie from Marvel. I don't give a fuck about the act. Please. He's a boring Chinese man. I'm not sitting through that for two hours, for $36. Get real. Chinese man doing flippy floppies in front of a green screen. So backflips for an hour and a half. All right. We got it. 
Yes, yeah, Asian like people are good with kung fu and martial arts. Yeah. Okay, how about you invent something new? How about he's good with cooking? Maybe he loves cooking. Anyway, What's kung fu. How's this a Stephen Chow movie? <laughs> you know what I noticed? No Asian people in Hateful Eight. What's that about? Well, because in the states, in like what eight sixteen hundred or some shit. It was like 1890 or something. You know, you could have had a railroad builder in there. You could have easily. They could have taken the train to the cabin. Something, yeah. Tarantino doesn't care about inclusion. (laughs) There's a Mexican. There's a black man. He's weird about the race stuff because he's like, he's got the black guy saying, you know, that the the black lady hated Mexicans. And like, that's like edgy, I think. Like, you know what I mean? In, in that part where he's like the no dogs and the dogs, no, yeah. no no Mexicans just start letting dogs in. I don't know. Is that entertaining? I is is that I don't know. I think he was that that, that that was kind of or like or like uh, hey, is my ass fat? We you know like oh like, yeah. I, I don't, there's some there's some cringe in there. I they could have like. excised that whole chapter and just made Michael Madsen the that bad guy a, by himself. A, Much better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that you know, that chapter's horrible. It really is, and I, I don't like Channing Tatum's performance in this movie either. I, I mean, I don't know if I've really liked him in in anything. But anything. Just Channing to, Tatum should have played the the son who sucks the dick. That would have been a better use of Channing Tatum. Yes, I completely. That would have been something that I would have. I'd be like, oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> especially, especially when you try to give him like goofy teeth, like it just feels like a SNL sketch. Yeah. When yeah. he pops up, you're just like, oh, I guess that's Channing Tatum with weird teeth now. Okay. Cool. Yeah. It's so it's so boring when they try to ugly up like a good looking actor. I've been watching a lot of Warner Brothers films from like the 1970s and 80s. And I've, because I've, Michael Keaton just turned 70, I was like, well, I'm going to check out some Michael Keaton films. And I watched Pacific Heights and I watched, today I watched Clean and Sober. And his hairline is just insane. His hairline is so terrible. And it made me wonder, is there such a thing as a bad actor with a bad hairline? Uh, and I don't think that's the case. I think the worse hairline you have, the better actor you have, which is why we gave Hans the main yes. supporting role. In Man's <laughs> I was State about, to make, the same, was about so. to make the same joke, you piece of shit. You're not allowed to do it. <laughs> it's self-deprecation, you asshole. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I'm a bully, so you, you should you should know that by now. Anyway, uh, Walton Goggins, another great example of an actor with a terrible hairline who's terrific and full of charisma. But, you know, you would have these, I mean, think about it like this. William Hurt. Nobody's seen William Hurt in a minute. William Hurt. I just watched Body Heat late last night with Kathleen Turner and William Hurt. And Mickey Rourke pops up in that also briefly. Ted Danson has a very peculiar role playing a Jewish lawyer, even though he's not Jewish, I believe, at all. He kind of looks like uh, Mo Green from from Godfather, Alex Rocco. Mm. Uh, that, that That's another example. You have like six foot tall William Hurt and his hair begins like right about here. And he's a stud. He's considered <laughs> handsome for that movie. I was like... I couldn't, I could I can't believe, like, we're not far away from that. And yet now it's just manufactured Camille Nangiani bodies. It's just. Yeah. Or uh, uh, what's the kid from, uh, from uh, Dune? Does it try Timothy Shatt, yeah, right. There's, there's the two standards. If you're in your mid to late thirties. hairline. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. If, if you're in your mid to late thirties. <laughs> You got to have the the rock hard steroid body that Disney pays for. They give you a personal trainer and they cover everything. Or if you're a young guy, you got to be skinny, gaunt, pale, and look like a woman, basically. Yeah, like the Flash or 
or Timothy Chalamet. Yeah. Yeah. Who would you rather fuck, Hans? <laughs> From those two? <laughs> Huh. Sounds like you've been thinking me, about them a lot. Hold huh? on. Let me let me put a lot of thought into that. Give me one second. <laughs> um, now here's uh, the pros and cons: is the Flash, the guy who plays the Flash, is he claims he's queer. He likes weird dresses. It's a little more feminine. You might be comfortable with that. Uh, he but he's, punch women. And he thin. loves to attack women in public and <laughs> have Warner Brothers cover it up so they don't have to cancel all their plans. Um, so there's that, but he's like disgusting. If you ever see like a photo shoot, uh, just like Jeffrey Tambor, whose uh, toenails have been discussed on this show quite frequently, he has claws. It's very disturbing stuff. 4chan loved posting that along with like Brie Larson. Uh, really gross. Uh, on the other hand, you know, you have Timothy Chalamet who looks more feminine, but he's a straight guy. So he's going to have to pound you out. Yeah. You don't actually expect an answer, right? I'm expect, we're not going to continue the show until we get one. Like, I don't think he could penetrate Hans. I don't think he'd be able to get in. That's right. <laughs> that's, that's, see? Yeah. These are the odds you're placing on one candidate yeah. or the other, Hans. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to give you an answer for that question. I don't know why you're expecting me to give me that thought, you fuck. Uh, <laughs> Shang-Chi, how about that? <laughs> fuck Shang-Chi. <laughs> Um. <clears throat> anyway, what is everybody's final thoughts here on Hateful Eight? I think it's a terrific film. Yeah, very enjoyable. Very uh, uh, a lot of very interesting characters and a lot of really funny dialogue that I wasn't expecting it to be that funny. I really thought it was a more serious movie for whatever reason, but then after rewatching it, uh, the characters are so well thought out and so three dimensional that it makes the two fifty. I think. Uh, runtime uh, go by quickly so uh, yeah I, I really enjoyed it too yeah it's great um, hilarious uh, probably 7 out of 10 I'd say 8 out of 10 light 8 7 um, out of 10 feels about right yeah I, I think this 10, is sorry. a laugh riot I think it's uh, great as far as any sort of idea of modern comedy even though it's not intended to be a comedy it's just naturally funny on its own. Uh, yeah, everything except for that that exposition chapter, I think, works astoundingly well. I think it would have been more interesting if you had maybe one or two culprits as opposed to a band of uh, criminals who, who have this counter mission um, and have these characters get knocked off one after another, Agatha Christie style. I, I would have been much more into that. But all things considered, it does end on a very epic and high note um, with the, the two wounded characters who are awaiting death hanging jennifer jason lee's daisy uh domergu and then uh just kind of chilling and and reading that letter one last time the fiction absorbed in the fiction of it so i think i think it's great and certainly worth revisiting if you don't have a high opinion of it uh because i don't i don't think any of us on this show had a high opinion of it originally and yet here we are so the soundtrack too i should say i don't think we talked about that but that darn darn theme is pretty great. Did uh, Ennio Morricone win the the Academy Award for that? I I think he may have because that's his last film he did any original music for. Uh, give me two, I think he won. two seconds and I'll tell you. Uh, well, it won one Oscar, and sure. it was. Uh, it was probably that. I'm. I'll venture to say it was that. 
I, which is kind of makeup. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was. Yeah. Best achievement in music. Ennio Morricone. So, so uh, Kurt Russell's uh, mustache. I just want to give that a sh- shout out to and his piercing blue eyes. Best mustache in movie best history. Eyes in the I movie. I can't, can't think of a better mustache than that one. Well, I, I, he has the same one in Bon Tomahawk, but. Right. Which this was like during the Kurt Russell renaissance where he's like, he's back. And this was supposed to be like, we're bringing Kurt Russell back. It's going to be, it's going to be a big event. And then it didn't really wind up being a big event. Bone Tomahawk actually wound up being the film he's probably more remembered for. um, And that character and leading that film. So I think that's kind of interesting. It got him the role in guardians too, because he had that moment in time where he's suddenly a hot commodity again. And unfortunately that seems to have burnt out. His Travolta moment is, is done. Yeah. Well, he's also think, what, like 80? Yeah. How old is he? Oh, he, he's not that old. I think he's, he's in his mid sixties. He might be 70. He's 70. Yeah. There's a, I there's... Also just, Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say just about Kurt Russell or whatever that character. I do like that subtle. I think it's kind of what Hans was saying at the beginning. He said, you know, these characters they spend a lot of time with don't matter at the end. But I think if anything happens in this movie is that just all all morality just kind of dissipates. And I think his character being the hangman, the guy who's trying to do it all by the book, being the first one to go is a statement, you know what I mean? In a way. And in the end, you've got the kind of morally gray northern soldier and southern soldier essentially taking on the evil, which I think is also what he was kind of trying to do in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, is take two flawed characters and kind of put them together at the end to defeat something that's more evil, which is kind of, I think, what Quentin's thing is, is that I'm bad, but I'll protect you from the person who's more bad. Right. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah. I do think that's certainly um, like a recurring theme with the later works, with everything that goes from probably, I mean, you could probably even make the argument that this is a component in Death Proof, uh, but certainly Death Proof onward, where you do have these violent aggressors uh, taking on the worst evil. Um sometimes within a historical context and sometimes, sometimes not. So yeah. um, I was just going to say, there's a story about Kurt Russell uh, just letting oh, some yeah. other actor fuck Goldie Hawn. And he was like, Oh, so how was it buddy? Like he would facilitate <laughs> situations where people would just fuck Goldie Hawn, his wife. I don't know. That's just something I heard. I don't even remember where I heard it from. Maybe I dreamt it. Naked 70 year old Goldie Hawn in your dreams. Is that, is yeah, that what's maybe, I, I'm buddies with Kurt Russell and fucking his wife. That's, that's what I dream about. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, I, I think I think that's the show for, for this evening, unless any, anyone else has anything to say on Hateful Eight or Quentin Tarantino in general to put a pin in well, things. Kurt Russell was on Fast Nine, apparently. So, that's, uh, that's his latest. He was uh, one of the character, FBI characters there. Or right. He's like the Q to the Fast and the Furious team, right? Yeah, I've never seen one. Oh, and he did that Christmas movie too, in twenty twenty for Netflix. That's that's great. <laughs> what did he play Santa Claus? Did he bring that? Yeah, mustache and Klaus. Back? I love Klaus. No, it's uh, that's a good movie. The Christmas, <laughs> cr- the Christmas Chronicles. 
where he plays Santa oh. Claus in both of them. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've, you know, that Mel Gibson Santa movie, Fat Man, was pretty enjoyable because that played it sincere, and you don't see that nowadays. People are always looking for the joke, looking trying to you know make jokes about themselves, which I, in the end winds up uh, taking away from the, the end product, in my opinion, when you get self-depreciating with what people paid to see. And you're like, haha, isn't this stupid? Yeah, well, yeah, but you don't have to tell me that. You're the product. I don't want to know that. This meta, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't like that. It's an anyway, odd one for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. That, that's been uh, movies for, for, having me on. for this week. Dakota, why don't you just plug oh. your, your Instagram real quick? Yeah, I, uh, Instagram is Plastic Repeater. Uh, and yeah, there's some art here behind me. I've been doing um, mug shots, essentially, which has been fun. Um, America's Most Wanted, I guess, you know, thinking about fame in that way and the portraits, uh, you know, murder and rape and all that being sort of the final frontier of what you can be known for. Um, and, yeah, uh, check me out on Instagram. And, yeah. Yeah, and you're uh, <laughs> yes, you're uh, you're a terrific artist. I do have uh, a piece on the wall over here of Kaczynski that is, mm-hmm. I think, featured in quite a few episodes of movies. If anyone wants to glance behind me, so uh, everybody should go check out your work if they haven't already. And uh, hopefully, this leads to uh, some more admirers of your art. Yes, uh, of course. Uh, all right, that that's been movies. Uh, Hans's H word name on Twitter, Hans Dose on Instagram, and I am Laura's. WB, Twitter and Facebook, Laura's Wonderbread on Instagram. Thank you for listening.